Chris, I do not fundamentally understand leagues where they have coaching challenges, where the coach only gets one challenge, and they lose the challenge even if they get it right. To me, this is the dumbest thing in all of sports, or one of the dumbest, at least. I'm not sure if I'm confident to make such a sweeping statement. Uh, But do not punish a team or a coach because the referee did not call the game well. The NBA, who is usually on top of these sorts of things, is like the chief offender in this regard. It makes no sense to me. Uh, If you want to look at a league that does it well, this is something we don't actually say very often, but the NHL, big shout to the NHL, uh, they have a system where the coach gets unlimited challenges, but every time they get it wrong, there's a, the team gets a penalty. Uh, and to me, this makes perfect sense. Punish a team in some way for getting a challenge wrong. NHL pen- penalties, I think, are a good like degree of severity in terms of like what kind of punishment it deserves. But don't remove their ability to challenge again. I get that we don't want games to be bogged down and endless replays and all that, but is the point of a challenge not to hold the officials accountable and make sure the game is called correctly? How can we do that if we're punishing coaches for being forced to do this in the first place? I think this all stems from like a fundamental issue with how we view challenges as fans. A successful challenge isn't a victory for the coach. It's not a big win for them. It's just the game being called correctly. And it's not a defeat for the official either. They're human beings. They're going to get some wrong once in a while, and the system is there to back them up. In a perfect world, the coach shouldn't have to challenge anything, but referees are human, and this is the system that we live with. But the official messing up a call earlier in the game should not mean that the system designed to back them up no longer exists later in the game when the calls get even more important. That doesn't make any sense. And speaking of fundamental, Griffin... It's time for something that's fun and mental. Another episode of A High Floor, Low Ceiling. And welcome to High Floor, Low Ceiling, the sports podcast that you are currently listening to. I'm joined by Griffin today. Griffin, how are you this fine Tuesday, switching it up once again on the record. Yeah, we're coming at you guys a little late this week. Sorry about that. But uh, our lives are busy and we have more important things going on, to be frank. So uh, you can check your attitude at the door. Yeah, frankly, we don't appreciate the attitude that you've been giving us, (laughs) your father and I. (laughs) Um, Griffin, I can already see our levels are peaking a little bit. A drastic shift from last week when you were one of the quietest people of all time. Would you like to speak on that? Uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, thank everyone for toughing it through last week's episode. I was listening to it. I thought it was a nice little break, Chris. I could hear all of your sage insights loud and clear. Um, and yeah, I appreciate I know you had to go in there and do some audio magic even to get it to where it was so thank you for doing that and thank you to everyone else for uh, suffering through that but we're back to normal this week and i'll do some yelling later on just to really prove it mm. i mean i've heard of 24 karat magic but audio magic um griffin something we frequently like to visit in these intangible sections and something you are always excited about we have a new listener area of the world coming to us this week is that correct yes we absolutely do chris this is me and my stats as we all know i love them love me some stats so a big shout out to our newest region chris we have had a listen in saudi arabia so big Uh shout out to our new saudi arabian (laughs) listener uh someone in the al Qasim region of saudi arabia Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, We'll have to talk about some Saudi Arabian sports coming up. Sure. I shouldn't say, uh uh-oh, we love the people of Saudi Arabia, with uh, perhaps some notable exceptions, but welcome to all everyone, Griffin. We're here, quite honestly, to unite the world. That's true. So everyone is welcome to listen to High Floor, Low Ceiling. We are one nation of... Uh, we we need a name for our fans. Uh, this isn't in the document, but should we mm. should we come back to this next week? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. And let's come take with some, some time suggestions. To think about it. Uh, we'll get some fans over the course of the week. <laughs> well, okay. Step one: find a fan. 
<laughs> Step two, ask them their name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but speaking of our fans, Chris, uh, mm-hmm. the socials have been blowing up lately. A big thanks to wow. everyone who's been participating there on our Instagram, on our TikTok. Uh, we've been getting some great views on the TikTok account lately. So thanks to everyone who's been liking, commenting, uh, having some great discussions. Uh, shout out to the person who tagged a much more popular podcast in our comments. They have not responded. Uh, but we appreciate you trying to get trying to get our name out there, yeah, or love a good trying to get them boost. to roast us. I don't know what your goal was. I don't listen to that other podcast, but uh, no free clout. I'm not going to say their name. Um, <laughs> sure, but yeah, just thank you to everyone who's who's been participating on the at HFLC podcast on Instagram on TikTok. It's been fun. Absolutely, you like I said, you'll have to go to that our page and view our videos in order to know who this mystery podcast is Ooh. that was tagged. Um, Griffin, there's one last note here. I don't know what it means. I will read it verbatim from our document. Lou power tripping on the island. I'm trying to discern what any of this means. I assume you're not talking about great Raptors reporter William Lou. No. Uh, uh, or the no. Toronto island, just to use some local <laughs> geography. What's that, going on here? That would be funny if William Liu was out there on Center Island just, like, uh, refusing to go down the flume ride or something, power tripping. No, but sure. I'm referring to Lou Lamorello uh, firing Barry Trotz mm-hmm. as head coach of the New York mm. Islanders today. I think that there's a bit of Lou Lamorello power tripping. I know that the... Uh, <laughs> Islanders didn't quite have the season everyone expected with not being able to play at home for months of months at a time and barely uh, missing the playoffs. But I think that this was a baffling decision. Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in the NHL. And I think Lou Lamorello uh, maybe thought that people were associating the Islanders success with Barry Trotz more than him and took wow. the first chance to get him the hell out of there. Wow. I mean, certainly when they hired him, I think, you know, it it was surprise. It's surprising how short his tenure was. Certainly, I mean, he was a Stanley Cup champion in the last five years. They were what a conference finals team the last two years. So yeah. you know, it's. I think also it's a little easy to when you hit some past success. It's very easy to start to expect that. And so going from conference finals to missing the playoffs on paper is like a pretty steep drop off, but. Like you said, it's been a weird season the, for the Islanders, particularly. I, I mean, like, I, I, I guess I can see the logic, but only four years for a coach of that caliber who has already, you know, brought you to some pretty solid places. It is definitely very surprising. Yeah, like they lost in the conference finals in both years to the eventual Stanley Cup champions in the Tampa Bay mm-hmm. Lightning. I just, I don't, I think it's baffling, and I don't really have, I know that he's a multiple-time Stanley Cup champion and one of the greatest general managers ever, but in this day and age, I don't like Lou Lamorello's style. I think that he, uh, he's a bit of a tyrant, and I think that this was a odd, odd decision, and I have to wonder if ego has played a role. That's all I'm saying. I think, I think that's totally fair. I mean, you know, you'd think that the two of them would be a good fit together as well, but... Not the case. You know, you people forget that they went to seven games last year against the Lightning. Like, I feel like that gets overlooked a lot. And game seven was a 1-0 game. Like, they were right, right there. And so even though they had that steep shot, steep fall off this year, you would expect a little bit more of a leash. But uh, we'll have to maybe pick some new destinations for him in a future episode, perhaps. Winnipeg. Ooh, I like I that. I mean, just to throw it out there, if the Leafs lose in the first round, we'll get into this, mm-hmm. maybe, in said future episode, but if the Leafs lose in the first round, I don't know. I think Sheldon Keefe. I think that would be a mistake to fire Sheldon Keefe, but we'll get into it we'll in get into episode. And we will get into the Toronto Maple Leafs potentially losing in a playoff series right now, because, Griffin, there is a there are a plethora of series uh, going on, playoff series in the NBA, in the NHL, and a, a suspicious, no, not suspicious, but a <laughs> shocking number of them, maybe suspicious depending on your theories about Scott Foster, but uh, a, a surprising number have hit that 2-2 mark. Uh, last night we saw all the game fours being played in both leagues, and so now we are, we are at a point where there are quite a few 2-2 series, so I thought we would go through a bunch of these, uh, talk about how the series has gone, 
maybe see if we can predict some winners, uh, dole out some HFLC points, perhaps. Uh, but but the thing I wanted to talk about first is just the the level of parity between the leagues, because it does feel like we are in our we're sort of entering like a new golden age of parity. You know, the NHL has always sort of had that reputation of anyone can win, people can win from like the bottom seeds or whatever. But the NBA, I feel like we usually talk about the lack of parity. And this year, it really feels like things are wide, wide open, especially if the Suns are not, like, as dominant as they seem to be in the regular season, right? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people always sort of had this inkling that the Suns, while still a great team, and even up until, I think, probably this current Game 4 that just happened, people thought that the Suns were still the favorite. But now that that series is 2-2... And the Mavericks have the best player in the series. In a best of three, that becomes more interesting, I think. So, uh, first of all, uh, a negative HFLC point to the Memphis Grizzlies for ruining a a unanimous 2-2 in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like this has been sort of a talking point the last few days, that the Memphis Grizzlies, some of the shine has come off of them in terms of... Yeah, people don't like them now. A lot of talk. People have talked about John Morant on Twitter, but I, I still like the Grizzlies personally. How do you feel about? Oh yeah, people love all that to... stuff with injuries, Jordan Poole, etc. People love to root on the downfall. Uh, the Jordan Poole stuff was. I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly didn't pay close enough attention to have an opinion <laughs> on it. And I think we should normalize saying that, Chris. I don't. I I missed a bit of that storyline over the weekend, and so I'm not going to give my opinion. And it might make Griffin? for terrible podcast content. But I f- I'll sleep at night. Griffin, I respect that so much. I mean, I'm just, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine playoff series. And those are just the ones that are 2 2. You know, the Avalanche closed out their series last night against the Predators. The Warriors, like we were saying, went th- up 3 1 against the Grizzlies. There are so many crazy playoff series happening right now. It is impossible to keep track of everything. I'm working like nine hour shifts in sports like trying to keep track of everything every night and i still miss out on a bunch of stuff so it's the best time no of the shame. year it is the best time of the year but also the worst if you're trying to keep your head on straight chris just before we get into our main segment here you just said we had eight first round nhl series either going on or just finished we have four in the nba you named two of the th- and as you said there are nine that are currently two two Mm-hmm. Uh, and you named two of the three that aren't 2-2. Two, two. Quick pop quiz for you, Chris. Can you name the third one? How how plugged in are you? Okay, I think I'm pretty plugged in. I think you can get this pretty easily. There are three of the four NBA series are 2-2, two, two, so that's all of those. So it has to be an NHL series. We mentioned that the Avalanche and the Predators are done. Okay, 3-1. Who went up? Oh, I know what this is because I watched this whole game. Uh, shout out to my good friend Simon. Uh, from Pittsburgh, huge Penguins fan. I was watching the game with him the other night, uh, or the afternoon rather, or was it the night? Anyways, doesn't matter. I watched the Penguins pull out that massive win against the New York Rangers. Went up three one in the series, so that is the other one that is not two two. Yeah, big shout out to uh, Louis Domingue and the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Penguins. Uh, did not see that one coming. But... The theory that uh, I, th- I believe our good friend of the podcast Clem advanced is that, uh, what's his name, Ottinger on the stars, that he uh, he enacted a Space Jam-type scenario with Igor Shesterkin immediately before the playoffs. <laughs> what do you think of that theory from I Clem? I think that Clem is definitely on to something there. We need to test uh, Jake Ottinger immediately for any sort of magic hockey equipment that might be holding sure. Igor Shesterkin's talent. She's That's stricken. more of a like Mike situation, I guess. A bas- they did store them in a basketball, but then yes. they distributed them to to the yeah, the nerd lux, of course. <laughs> the, the name nice, of the nice aliens. pull on the name of the aliens. Um, yeah, uh, but maybe we should start with the hometown team since we've already mentioned them briefly. The Leafs and the Lightning. This is a two-two series, Griffin. But the, the first uh, the first point I have here on our document is, are the Leafs doomed? Because this feels like the leafiest Maple Leaf series of all time. They've won two games. They had the huge blowout in game one to give everyone tons of confidence going forward. 
and now it's 2-2. They've had some pretty bad losses. Game 4 was pretty much a non-starter from, from the word go. It's starting to feel like this is going to seven games, and, you know, the, yeah, the Maple Leaf power is growing. It's definitely going to seven, I think. I'd be shocked if it didn't. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... I have a note here, Chris. This feels like one of the heaviest recency bias series of all time. After mm. every Leafs win, I think Leafs fans are elated and so confident. And after every loss, and this has to do with the nature of the games too, I think all four wins, maybe with the exception of the Leafs in Game 3, have been pretty comfortable though, um, which is a lot of the NHL. A lot of the series have mm-hmm. been tied, but a lot of the individual games haven't been particularly close, which is funny. Uh, but I think that the Leafs absolutely still have a chance. They're not doomed by any means. Uh, game four was definitely disappointing in that the Leafs must have known that Tampa was going to come out strong and just looked completely unprepared for it. But in the end, I think that the Leafs are not doomed. It's a best of three. They've got two at home. Uh, you play all season for that advantage, so I hope mm-hmm. that they can use that. But in the end, it's going to be very hard, and I think everyone at the start of this series, even if they thought the Leafs were going to win, would say Leafs in six or Leafs in seven. And now here we are. Like, you can't get to Leafs in six or Leafs in seven without <laughs> losing two or three along the way. And sure. yet when it happens, everyone is like, I, now that this has happened, they're doomed. Uh, so I, I, I still got faith. I think it'll be tough. I think game five is an absolute must win. If they don't win game five, I think they're in very tough to win the last two. But if they win game five, I think they should feel good. And then it's just the matter of them. They need amnesia. Someone needs to go around in that locker room and just hit everyone on the head until they get amnesia and forget everything about the last five years. Yes, they should deliver some head injuries to those hockey players. Great idea. Brain trauma for the hockey. More brain trauma for the hockey players. That's our stance here on High Floor. Let's <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, I certainly agree that the recency bias is heavy, both from Leaf fans and from non-Leaf fans, because I feel like everyone is so eager to jump on the the Leaf thing that as soon as they lose a game, like I mean, like I'm looking at like YouTube comments and stuff for work, so. I maybe have like an, an even lower standard of conversation than you usually see on the internet, but like on every every time the Leafs lose, it's like it's so funny that Leaf fans thought that they were gonna win this series, and now it's this, and so like it is extremely like back I, and I don't forth. Think there's a pendulum in sports that draws more attention from people who aren't fans of the team than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, non-Leafs fans are obsessed (laughs) with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Every single other franchise in Canada, with the possible exception of the Montreal Canadiens, those fan bases are obsessed. And the Calgary Flames. I feel like Calgary doesn't really care, but Vancouver, Canucks fans, Edmonton Oilers fans. You think the the Montreal Canadiens don't care about the Maple Leafs? I just think like they're secure enough in their own legacy to be like, sure, we have a rivalry with the Maple Leafs, but like we like if you're a Senators fan or a Jets fan, like you define your franchise's worth on how well the Leafs do. Like Senators, Senators fans care more about the Leafs than they do about the Senators. It's wild. Being having gone to school for five years in Ottawa, I'm I intersect with some of Senators' Twitter, and mm. they are upset. They're obsessed. It's it's wow. like we should drop a psychiatrist into Senators' Twitter and just get some <laughs> diagnoses going because they are really into the Leafs. Well, it is hard to get excited about anything to do with the Ottawa Senators right now, I will say. Um, but yes, as you alluded to, Griffin, I don't think... I think we're, we're going to try and pick one series here, probably, where a team will lose Game 5 but win the series. Very tough thing to do. I think it's fair to say, like you said, that this will not be that series. But, uh, but you have faith that the Leafs will pull this out. I am still not quite sure where I land, I don't think. I mean, like, I think the Lightning are probably the better team, ultimately. You know, there's been a lot of talk about their depth. Their depth really showed up in Game 4, which I think is really massive for them. I think that, you know, it's like when their depth shows up, it's a blowout. When their depth doesn't show up, it can be still be a close game. And so I think that that's why I give the edge to the Lightning a little. Um... So maybe I'll just lean them slightly, but I, I do think this is one of the closer series. Um, Griffin, I have a question for you. 
as someone who was not watching hockey much, uh, you know, until quite recently, was John Tavares ever good? (laughs) (laughs) Someone's been spending too much time on hockey Twitter. Yes, John Tavares is an excellent, excellent hockey player, Chris. He is elite in the Mm -hmm. league. He's a little older now. He's not quite as fast as he once was. He's not quite as dominant. And he's had a bit of a rough stretch lately. But John Tavares was very, very good and still is very, very good. I just, I feel like in my limited sample size, because I feel like even as someone who is not like the most educated or the most discerning viewer when I watch a game, like I can still see when a player is like a good player. I feel like I've never seen John Tavares do anything that makes me go like, that's one of like the 25 best players in the league. It's true that he isn't the flashiest guy but maybe he has a flash thing especially in his islanders days i think that he had a good uh he had a decent amount of flash to him for sure and he is now uh more of a how do i put this uh he's he's still very good he just doesn't (laughs) he doesn't have like one obvious skill that really jumps out at you the way Connor mcdavid has his speed or the way austin matthews has his shot or mitch marner has his playmaking Tavares does everything very well but nothing really really great so I think that when you're watching him especially in a series like this where he has been fairly invisible uh Mm -hmm. it's tough to see like how like what could this guy have done well to make him a superstar but uh there was a lot of stuff he's great with the puck he's got great hand eye he's great in front of the net uh, he still got a good shot. I, I think he'll get a couple goals by the time this series is done. I, I expect him. And we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, Chris. Game five is tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will probably come out Wednesday morning. So mm-hmm. we'll see We'll see how things are looking after game five. But I, I, I'm betting on John Tavares. I think he'll score a goal tonight. Oh, okay. I like that prediction. Yeah, we will We will know for a number of these series, uh, they will, this will be out of date by tomorrow. Maybe poor play on our part, but you'll get, you'll get a little time capsule of where things stood at this time. Um, maybe let's jump to the NBA here, Griffin. The Bucks and the Celtics played their game four last night. Um, a, a very tight game, a very entertaining game. And it feels like the Celtics kind of stole the game. Uh, they had no Robert Williams. Jason Tatum was playing horrifically for the first half. Uh, like, what really was just putting up bricks a lot, like not going to the basket, things like that. But they managed to clutch the game out. Uh, Al Horford weirdly had a terrific game. Drew Holiday was not playing well at all. Um, do you have any general feelings about the the series as a whole before we dive in? I think this one does feel quite even. You know, we talked about the Celtics being one of the better teams, uh, you know, maybe a, a contender if you're taking the Suns out of the equation. Obviously, the Bucks, the defending champions. So th- it's not surprising to me that this has been one of the closer series, certainly. Yeah. Is it weird to say that I was more confident in the Celtics before they won this game? Um, like coming into game four I expected the Celtics to win and still thought they would probably win the series but the fact that they really needed to like pull this game out by some sort of miracle uh, it it really sort of shook my faith in them even though they did end up winning I think Milwaukee played the better game and now Mm -hmm. as once again I'm going to say it over and over with these 2-2 series we head into a best of three I think that Milwaukee looks better and even though Boston got that win that they absolutely had to get to avoid going down 3-1 uh I mean Milwaukee now has more I have more faith in Milwaukee than I did before this game even though they lost yeah I get your logic because you know obviously Al Horford had a pretty big outlier game Tatum obviously you know his numbers were really bad in the first half but once he like by the end of the game he sort of averaged out to a normal Tatum game, he had 30 points on 24 shots, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. Like, that's well within the expected range for a Jason Tatum game, I think. And so the really the big outlier games, you know, Jalen Brown had 18 points. That's pretty standard for him. Marcus Smart shot 8 of 13. You can call that an outlier. Um, so when you sort of average that out and Al Horford having his big game and Drew Holiday shooting 5 for 22 for 16 points, you sort of think if you sort of compress those outliers a little bit 
it does maybe come out looking better for the Bucks than the, than it does for the Celtics. I think that's definitely fair to say. So are you are you picking the the Bucks in this series? I it's tough. It's really tough. The one thing, I, the one thing that worries me about the Celtics is the depth because you look at Game Four, you know they had the five starters. Derek White played 34 minutes off the bench, and then you had Tice and Pritchard, who are both sort of like spot minute guys. They both had zero points, uh, combined 0 for 7 shooting. So those guys, you know, aren't the biggest factors. Obviously, the playoffs are a time where you don't have to worry about depth as much, but then it's like they're playing Al Horford 42 minutes. Is that going <laughs> to maybe have an impact down the line? Um, d- does their depth concern you at all? Yeah, I think it does. Like you said, Al Horford, not the young man he once was. You'll have to see how much that takes a toll. And it's just like he's been one of their best Giannis stoppers in this series. I thought that Daniel Tice would have more of an impact on Giannis, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I've been a little disappointed in him. So I am disappointed with the Celtics. So for that reason, I'm taking bucks and seven, Chris. Oh, I like it. I, you know... The, the Bucks they can go eight deep right now with no Middleton. You know, Portis, George Hill, Connaughton, those are all really solid uh, bench players. And then obviously Grayson Allen. George, <laughs> I don't know if I love George Hill, but I like George, George Hill. Hill's such a, a good pro. There was a fun little uh, post-game thing where Ime Udoka said that they were targeting George Hill because Udoka like, knows George Hill's tendencies from when they were on the Spurs together. <laughs> Which is really funny. Uh, but it's like, seriously, if I was building a championship team, I would. George Hill's the perfect backup point guard. He comes in, he can hit threes, He you're comfortable when he's got the ball in his hands, he's going to make the mm-hmm. smart pass, even if he's not a like flashy, crazy passer. He can knock down free throws, he can play solid defense, he's like got a great basketball IQ, he seems like a leader. There's nothing I want George Hill to do as a backup point guard on a contender that I don't think he can do. Yeah, he's it's like you build like a, a backup point guard in a lab. Yeah, I, I, he's like a poor man's Fred Van Vliet, I think is the best way that I can describe him. But and he's and got that is a compliment. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm still leaning the Celtics. In, I, I don't know. Because Giannis has showed, you know, his classic Giannis self in the playoffs. He's shown the ability to sort of take over a game and win it by himself, even though that didn't happen last night. Um, I think I still have to lean the Celtics here. I think they're they've just played better overall. They seem to be have more of like a game plan set up. You know, obviously they have less to focus on in terms of stopping one guy rather than stopping like a pretty pretty well balanced attack that the Celtics have. But I do think the Celtics the sort of the whole package of the Celtics is a little bit more appealing to me than the whole package of the Bucks, especially if Drew Holiday continues to underperform because he has even going back to last year I think people didn't talk enough about how much he was sort of not showing up in the playoffs and holding them back a little almost fair all right Chris uh I say we rapid fire a few of these uh we're gonna Mm -hmm. do one key question and then a quick prediction each I'm gonna keep it on the hard court for this next one we're going to the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers my question to you Chris are the Sixers now the favorites it's a fair question. They've won two straight games. Um, obviously, having Embiid back has totally changed their outlook. It's, I think the way that I would phrase this question is like, I do think they're the favorites, but I'm still not picking them because, <laughs> you know, we saw in the last series, obviously they, they pulled the series out. I think that, you know, maybe Toronto fans sort of overrate how close that series was. Um, just as a, a quick aside, I was thinking about how similar that series was to the Cavs series in 2016 Mm. where Toronto sort of like gritted out two games by the skin of their teeth and people were sort of hyping them up maybe more than they deserved and then the better team just sort of came back and won the won the series but that's that's beside the point but we've sort of seen that the Sixers if they struggle to sort of get into their game plan and they struggle to play the way they want to play basically with Harden sort of initiating and getting to the rim and getting fouls and Embiid doing his Embiid things they do tend to struggle they did need really good games from Harden and Embiid both to win in game four and even though Lowry probably shouldn't be on the court I do think that they have enough in terms of having Butler, Bam Adebayo, 
Tyler Hero. I think those three guys, plus a really good supporting cast, is enough to win you a playoff series against, you know, I think most people agree, the weakest team remaining in the playoffs right now. Fair. I'm actually, I'm going to go against you, Chris. I think that uh, the 76ers have the best player in the series in Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's mm-hmm. particularly controversial. And I think mm-hmm. that the Heat lack, with all due respect to Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, a truly elite player. And so I'm going to take the Philadelphia 76ers to win this series. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that it's it's a good matchup, and it's more than fair to pick either way. you know. But Jimmy Butler, he had a big game last game. I do... Even though I don't really like him as a player, I do weirdly trust him as like a down-the-stretch guy who you can give the ball to and trust to make some kind of play happen. So I, that's why I'm still leaning towards the Heat. Although I do agree, the Sixers certainly have maybe the two best players in the series. Fair. Very fair question. All right, Chris, let's go back to the ice for this one. The Florida Panthers and the Washington Capitals are tied at two. Uh, I'm going to ask myself the question on this one. Are the Florida (laughs) Panthers frauds? And I've heard other podcasts, specifically the uh, Steve Dangle podcast. I want to give credit. I don't just want to bite thoughts. But uh, the Florida Panthers had 13 wins in three-on-three overtime this year. That is 13 bonus points. And obviously they were a great regular season team, but that is 13 points is a lot of points to come from hockey that does not exist in the playoffs. And I think we've seen this sort of freewheeling, up-tempo, high-offense style that the Panthers play fail in the NHL playoffs time and time again. And even though I don't fundamentally believe in, like, this whole, like, oh, you got to play, like, really slow, grinded out, both in hockey and basketball, the mentality, I think, was there that that's how you had to play to win in the playoffs. And I didn't really believe that playoff sports was that much different. I mean, like, the evidence at some point starts to become substantial, and so, I mean, I think you got to ask the question, uh, did we sort of overrate the Florida Panthers this year? I think it's fair to say that they were overrated, and it's fair to say that their style doesn't necessarily translate to the playoffs. I mean, you know, I've heard people call them the comeback cats and that sort of mentality of coming from behind to win games. It's like... You can sort of spin it two ways, right? It either it's like, oh, they're so resilient, even when they're behind, they can win, or they're just sort of having the positive end of some good variants. I think that it's fair to criticize them, but they still, even even if you think that they're not as good as they were in the regular season, I think what's surprising is that it's the Washington Capitals which was a team that people weren't really hyping up coming into the playoffs that didn't really look like the strongest team. That, the, that that's the team that has caused them to look so pedestrian. Because, like, <laughs> this seems more like a collapse in the conference finals team <laughs> than yeah. it does a collapse in the first round team. So that's sort of what's surprising to me. And, yeah, you can you can attribute that to the Capitals having a ton of veterans. But it's not like the Panthers are inexperienced uh, in terms of their, their primary players. They have some contributors that have a lot of playoff experience. And so I don't think you can really contribute it to that. But maybe it is just a case of the Capitals sort of playing a style that's more suited to playoff hockey. I am still going with the Panthers here. I think this is one of the ones I feel more confident about because I do just think that the talent gap will eventually become overwhelming in the same way that it has in, for example, the Warriors-Grizzlies series. Very true. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to my pick for that in a little bit, Chris. Uh, we'll come wow. back to it, but one more uh, hard court series. I want to check with you the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks. Here's what I want to know, Chris. Uh, first of all, do you like? Do you believe in the Dallas Mavericks? I, you know, <laughs> I, the, I really enjoy watching the Dallas Mavericks in the playoffs. I enjoyed them the last couple of years watching those first round series, watching them get out some wins. This has this series has reminded me a lot of those previous ones here's a quick question for you griffin do you know how many three pointers dorian finney smith made in game four of this series uh no i can't say it's i i'm going to assume it's either quite low or quite it's either zero or over six it is eight yes you made eight three pointers and it's like those are the kind of games that the dallas mavericks win in the playoffs like if all of their role players have really good shooting nights then they can 
definitely win games against anyone, against the Clippers uh, a couple years ago or against the Suns in this series. But I think over time, because they sort of rely on that variance to such a high degree that they tend to lose out in the end, just, you know, over the course of a seven-game series. And so I am still going with the Suns here. I think I'm a little disappointed with how pedestrian the Suns have looked, uh, both in the first round and in this round. I do think this Mavericks team is a little better than the teams that we've seen uh, from them the last two years, but obviously the quality of opponent in the Suns is, I'd say, significantly higher than anyone they face in the playoffs up to this point, and so I still have the Suns in this series. Yeah, to me, you brought up the 2016 Eastern Conference Finals earlier with the Raptors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. To me, this is the series that reminds mm. me of that. The Mavericks came home, they won two, everyone's like, oh, is this sort of close? I don't think it really will be in the end, with all due respect to Dallas uh, and Luka, who I love. I think this is Suns and Six. Yeah, I think, you know, and the it's, it's like a, it's a get better every year kind of thing for the Mavericks, right? Where this is a team where one year you lose in the first round, the next year you lose in the second round. So I look forward to seeing them lose in the conference finals next year, much like the Florida Panthers this year. True, but I mean, with the Mavericks, this is a bigger discussion, but there's only a certain amount of years left before Luka is yeah. playing on a Supermax. Uh, so. Yeah, it's a, they have a tough, uh, in terms of their roster construction, they have some pretty tough questions. You know, Jalen Brunson coming up on that restricted free agency, or is it just plain old unrestricted free agency? Anyways. I think it's plain old. Because he's a second rounder, is he? Um, at any rate, Jalen Brunson will be a free agent, and that is uh, a a pretty significant decision for them. A lot New of people seem to think that he I'm will. <laughs> New York Knicks in... for too much money. I think here's a question. Just a quick one for you, Griffin. Quick. Is he that much worse than Fred Van Vliet? Jalen Brunson? That you wouldn't want to give him like a four-year, $80 million contract? No, I don't think that Jalen Brunson is bad at all. I think he's a little uh, streakier than Fred Van Vliet. Maybe mm-hmm. not quite as consistent, not quite as steady, if you will. Sure. But uh, I, I have no disregard for Jalen Brunson. I think that he's a very good young player. I just think that like someone might give him 100 over four years instead of 80. Yeah, I think that would definitely maybe be a tall order. But I think 480 does sound like a good number for me and what I'm willing to give him. He's, he'll, he'll only be 26, so it's not like True. you're taking him into the into the twilight of his career or anything like that all right chris uh speaking of twilight i think we're starting to hit the twilight of this segment but before we leave it behind (laughs) you asked a great question in the doc here that i love so i am going to uh ask you chris if you could pick one team of all of our series that are tied to two our nine series if you could pick one team to lose game five but win the series who are you picking and why Oh, it's a it's a good question that I posed. <laughs> I will <laughs> confess. I think I'm gonna go with the St. Louis Blues. Gonna go off the board to a series we haven't talked about yet. The Blues and the Minnesota Wild. Uh, to me, the Wild have looked like the better team. Their offense, you know, can explode at times. They were piling up goals in uh, Game Four, I believe it was Game Three or Game Four. I believe it was Game Four. Uh, they they have Kaprizov, they have Joel Eriksson, uh, who seem like you know probably the two best offensive players in the series. They and they can really score in a hurry, but they have also shown the propensity. Like in Game One, they didn't look ready. They looked a little scared out there. They looked like they had the ability to sort of be shut down and and just sort of limit their playmakers. And I think that the Blues do have that capacity. And they seem like they, they do seem like quite a resilient team. Um, no one on the team really stands out. David Perrone has like seven points in the playoffs, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, I think that they're, they're the kind of team that can handle a Game 5 loss and then just sort of buckle down and win games. And I also think that the Wild are the kind of team that can come into a Game 6 expecting to win the series get surprised, lose the game, and then they sort of fall apart at the end of the series. So the St. Louis Blues are going to be my pick for uh, for the lose-then-win team. Griffin, do you have a team that you think can lose game five but still pull out the win? I do. I Just before you I get into that, I like the little mental image I got when you said you can picture the Minnesota Wild getting surprised. Like I pictured... 
like a very like cartoony like someone in like a wild jersey going like oh and like really just like <laughs> oh my god and like dropping all of their hockey sticks and then losing the series so dropping all their like they have like a big bundle in their arms oh yeah yeah and then the, oh my god this, the blues you surprised me <laughs> um, but, uh, but i do chris i'm going to keep it with a series we talked about already uh i think the washington capitals are gonna lose mm. game five and then wow. win the series. Uh, wow. I mean, I think the Panthers are frauds. I'll come out and say it. I think that the Capitals play real good playoff hockey. They got the dirt. They got the grit. And uh, even without Tom Wilson, I think that the uh, Caps have what it takes to... Um, <laughs> forgot the S on take. Um, so, yeah, I'm picking the Washington Capitals. I Even though I disagree, Griffin, I like the pick. I think that, you know, similar to the Blues, they're a team that can can lose a game and not get too down on themselves. So I think that that's a a totally legitimate pick. We are finished talking about these playoff series. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go mommy mode when we return. (laughs) (laughs) On high floor, low ceiling. And welcome back to high floor, low ceiling. Griffin, it's we're a little late on this <laughs> on account of uh, recording late, but this past Sunday was Mother's Day, Aww. the most lovely day of the year. Did you get up to anything special with your family and specifically your lovely mother, uh, who I saw I... once waving through a door? You did? <laughs> when we went to... Uh, interview the great marcus anderson oh yeah yeah you came and picked me up that morning um well i was going to have a nice dinner and then watch the lease with my mother chris but unfortunately i came down with a bit of a stuffy nose that day you might be Mm. able to still hear it over the recording uh so we decided i was staying with my girlfriend so we decided to play it safe uh wait for a couple negative tests which we did get but uh, we had a bit of a belated Mother's Day celebration, but uh, got to give her the flowers and the card nonetheless. How about you, Chris? How did you celebrate with noted high floor, low ceiling Instagram follower, your mother? <laughs> uh, I had a, a lovely follower mother. of the week. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, my mother, not a sports fan, incidentally, so I highly doubt she listens, but uh we had a lovely mother's day we had brunch at the home of my brother and his lovely spouse a i got to see a new mother herself yes her first mother to day. see the lovely caspi he bounced on my legs for a while Aww. he is one of the cutest guys in the world that there is um <laughs> i'll send you a picture later yes please do. uh but yeah had a lovely time we had some brunch there were sausage rolls on hand from my Ooh. father's uh, bakery of choice. So just a, a lovely, a lovely day to spend together. That sounds like uh, a great day. I, I assume my invite got lost in the mail. But You um, wanted to come to our Mother's Day brunch? Of course. I would love to try some of your father's favorite sausage rolls. <laughs> Interesting. Um, in, also, in the spirit... a former follower of the week. I do feel obliged to mention <laughs> In the spirit of Mother's Day, Griffin, we wanted to show some love to uh, our wonderful mothers, and we wanted to talk about some athletes that embody the the characteristics that we love in our mothers. This isn't exactly a draft per se, but we've put together a list of uh, of some athletes, and we have talked about. Uh, we are going to talk about rather some of their most notable characteristics that we admire in our mothers. Uh, I'll go first here. I This is sort of a double one because I wrote down empathy, but I think you can write down like dedication as well. Uh, this is an athlete who has gone through everything. They went between countries to uh, play in their professional league. They've played the role of a star. They've played the role of a superstar. They've won championships, well, one championship. Uh, they've been a role player. And then most importantly, uh, they stuck with one team over the course of their career. And then they helped to usher in the new generation. Griffin, this is a team that we just talked about, the Dallas Mavericks. And this is Dirk Nowitzki. 
you know, one of the most likable guys in NBA history, I think it's fair to say. A guy who is always just going to give you the best of himself. And a guy who, like I said, has gone through everything that one can go through in their career. And so I think that he embodies uh, the, the life experience and the compassion that a great mother exemplifies. And of course, like I said, bringing in the next generation of superstars. So I suppose I am Luka Doncic in this metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot, Chris. Uh, like you said, Duke or Dirk, pardon me, has that. <laughs> Duke Nowitzki. <laughs> Dirk Nowitzki. That's my uh, Swedish chef. Yeah. Um, he's had that life experience. Uh, he So he's got the mentorship aspect down. He's approachable. He's certainly mm-hmm. talented, which all mothers mm-hmm. are. Um, so I like this one a lot. A great pick by you. Uh, I just want to clear something out of the way. It's, we're not doing a competition today. This is more a celebration of mothers. So yes, I'm not going to be choosing today. Choosing the legendary Phil Taylor, even though <laughs> we all know Phil would make a great mother. I just I didn't want to bring the day down with one of one of my jokes, you know. Like this is this is about the mothers, not about me. Yeah, this is serious, please. This is serious. So, um my first pick is like <laughs> This this is serious. Now pick the athlete who is your mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh I feel like for legal purposes I need to say these aren't all my mom, but these are all I think I went sort of for like different mom archetypes. Oh um, sure. Do you think the word archetype is just a nicer way of saying stereotype like people didn't want to say stereotype anymore so they started saying archetype instead um no because i think that there can be well maybe a little bit but i feel like a stereotype is something that is applied to all it's like a stereotype of a mom would be like they cook Mm. food Whereas an wow. archetype of a mom is a ty- is like just a, a type of mom right. that could be one of many different types. Right. I, I I agree with you. You're definitely right there. This has been tangents with uh, Griffin and Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first mom archetype, not stereotype, that I'm going with my is first a mom. Uh, is a stern mom. But that's the type of mom that makes the praise all the sweeter. Like this isn't a mean mom. This mm-hmm. isn't a, a toxic mom. This is just someone who's like. She's composed, like she doesn't give out uh, praise willy-nilly, but that means when she is proud of you, it like really hits hard. So for that mom, I'm going with Christine Sinclair, the legendary uh, soccer player. I think that Christine is very serious on the pitch from what we can see. She's uh, very composed. She's a competitor. She works hard. She plays hard. But then when she does let that happiness flow through, like we saw when Canada won the gold medal in Olympic soccer, it just it makes it feel so much better because she's so serious the rest of the time. Yeah, I think that's a great choice. I mean, Christine Sinclair, obviously, not only one of the great athletes, but one of the great uh, team captains as well. I feel like her her leadership and then also she she sort of feels like a very steadying presence, which is oh, what you want sure. out of a mom, like in times of of peril. She is sort of very present, and you know, even if she's not the one who's scoring the goals, her presence still helps to calm things down and elevate everyone around her, which I think is a classic characteristic of a mom. Uh, Griffin, I'm going to move on to my second attribute, which I think pretty much every mom uh, participates in or enacts, which is sacrifice. Uh, We know how much moms do for their kids certainly our moms uh, have done a lot for us oh absolutely and i think an athlete that uh embodies sacrifice is elena deladon of the washington mystics one of the greatest basketball players on the planet a former wnba mvp uh, because women's basketball players are criminally underpaid a lot of uh, them tend to play overseas during the wnba offseason but Deladon does not do that because she has an older sister who has several medical conditions that cause her to require uh, more more regular care. And so in the offseason, rather than playing overseas, she cares for her family. I think that is the most classic trait of a, of a wonderful mother, is someone who gives up something that could sort of further their own personal productivity or you know, I don't want to say wealth, but sort of their their good fortune, and they pass along that that standard of care to a loved one, and I think that that is emblematic of a great mother. And you know, uh, 
Ellen Adela Dawn, she's had her own issues. She has talked about her struggles with Lyme disease and having to take a lot of supplements and things like that during the season. She's had injuries that have kept her off the court quite a bit the last few years, but she always puts her family first, and I think that is just a remarkable and laudable trait, uh, both for a mother and for anyone, really. Yeah, Chris, I think you knocked this one out of the absolute park. Uh, Alina Delandon, not only one of the best basketball players in the entire world, as you said, but I can't think of any uh, motherly characteristics that are more motherly than what you said. I'm just trying to rephrase what you said, Chris. You put it very well. Uh, yeah, a perfect pick, I think. Uh, not that these are picks, a perfect <laughs> nomination. Um, just stop laughing while we while we try and engage in this somber and serious activity. Uh, somber. For my next mother, celebrating mothers is no laughing matter. Uh, <laughs> sure. For my next uh, selection... I'm going with the the family togetherness mom, the mom that organizes events. I think this is crucial uh, to any family. It's not always a mom, but very often it is a mom who wants to get everyone together, whether it's for a mm-hmm. holiday or for a to celebrate uh, the achievements of someone in the family or something like that. Uh, the family togetherness mom is a big, important mom archetype, and I think it's something we saw play out re- in real time when Patrick Marlowe, was on mm-hmm. the Toronto Maple Leafs. Patrick Marlowe actually retired today. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big congratulations to him on an incredible Hall of Fame career, and also a big congratulations to him on being selected as one of the high floor, low ceiling athlete moms. Uh, but we yes. saw him when he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs really taking Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner under his wing, hosting players who maybe couldn't go home to their families for Christmases and stuff like that to have Christmas with his family. He really seemed like a great team mom and one who really prided the f- getting the family together. So that's uh, my nomination here. Yeah, that's absolutely something that uh, I see in my own mom and that I love. Love getting together for the family events. Love uh, hanging out, much like this uh, Mother's Day brunch that you wish you were invited to. Uh, yeah. It's a classic example. Wait, of... your, your mother organized her own Mother's Day brunch? A little bit. Well, I should say, it was Mother's Day brunch and also my sister's birthday, because her birthday is on May 2nd, and so it was a bit of a combination celebration. Uh, so, you know, we're celebrating people of all stars and stripes uh, all right. for brunch. I'm just, I just want you to take a little bit of a load <laughs> off your mother's plate. If I was invited, I would have certainly handled some of the organizing, let, let your mother relax a little bit. But Sure, absolutely. I don't think she fully organized it, but she was, you know, she's always the one who's sending out the emails and trying to figure out what date works for everyone and things like yeah, that. And you, which... if, if you just want to sneak me on that email list, that'd be perfect. Um... Yeah, I'll, CC, I'll BCC you. Perfect, perfect, yeah. I want it to be so a no surprise when I show up. Yeah, exactly. Who the hell are um, you? <laughs> <laughs> you don't listen to my podcast, I will say. You don't them. know by my voice? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's Griffin from High Follow Ceiling with Griffin and Chris. Um, Griffin, it's sort of in the similar vein to you, uh, my final mom tribute, which is what I've just realized this segment is called, uh, not mommy's draft, as I wrote in our yeah. document. <laughs> Still um, hate that. But the the propensity for fun activities, the the ability to bring people together, always having a new idea for something that a family can do together, and and just bond together and have a great time doing it. Uh, I think that no one is more of a, a fun activity person in the professional sports world than LeBron James. We see it all the time on social media, Griffin, one of your faves. Of course, we all know about uh, a certain day of the week. Would you like to do an impression? Do you ever do... Uh... Uh, I did promise earlier that I was going to yell in this episode. I didn't think no. I actually would, but uh, I think you really got to hit the T. I think mm-hmm. you got to go, it's Taco Tuesday. I did not see the levels on that, Chris. How were they? The levels looked terrific, Griffin. You might even need to boost yourself a little bit for that one. Oh, did but I yes, lean the, too far back? Well, I'll, I think I'll, you did I'll a perfect job. Post. You did perfect. Um, the Got the Taco Tuesday, of course, we all remember the banana boat ride. I think that is like a very like family portrait-looking picture <laughs> of them all, the banana boat together, smiling. And then, of course, uh, of course, we recently heard that LeBron's tequila is up for an award. So um, I'm... I wouldn't say that I drink a lot of tequila with my family, but that sounds like a fun activity. You're just a uh, 
an interesting aside. I'm interested to hear, Griffin. Do you drink alcohol with your family? Because I know some people are like, whenever my family gets together, we always like get drunk together. And that is not what my family is like at all. And I'm interested to hear what your family is like in terms of the the atmosphere and whether the, you know, we'll, we'll have a beer or a glass of wine with dinner, but I wouldn't say that we really, uh, we really pop off in that way, but I'm interested to hear how your family does it. My family certainly does not uh, drink to excess when we're together. Um, (laughs) but during the, uh, especially during the summer, if it's like a Sunday and Mm. maybe we're all sort of chipping in to help with the dinner and, uh, dad's put some music on it's a beautiful day outside we'll start drinking while we're cooking dinner and just sort of drink consistently but like we're not getting yeah. hammered together last summer sure when uh things were a bit more locked down my sister encouraged us all to organize a room crawl in our house where we all got a designated room and picked a theme and a cocktail and a game Ooh. so that was a lot of fun that is uh, fun but, like, sometimes me and my sister will go out together. Like, when we worked at the same summer camp on days off, that would happen mm-hmm. from time to time. But wow. not with our parents, I think, in the way that you're referring to. Yeah, I, I would not... Even with my my siblings, I would say I'm not that way. But, of course, I am not... You know, that, that's not a rendering of judgment. I was just curious about... Oh, good. good. I'm always curious about how different families... Uh, operate in that world but griffin i have interrupted your time you have one more for us who is your final uh what is your final mom tribute that you would like to embody for us yeah first chris i just want to throw out there uh la mom james sure la mom is there something we can do with james la mom um loves <laughs> la mom loves Perfect. um <laughs> No, Chris, my fa- my final uh, mom mom to type mom tribute. That's what it was. Um, is the on the go mom? Uh, I think mm. we all know this type of mom. This was certainly my mom for many years. Uh, a mom that's got like a good calendar, everything planned out, and she's always got something going on. She's taking this kid to this event. She's really like propping the whole family up, making sure everyone has to get to what they have to get to, making sure that the family functions. Uh, so a big shout out to all moms like this. But for my pick, my mom is a, <laughs> not my mom. Uh, this mom <laughs> is a is another Canadian Olympic legend, Chris. Chris, but Chris, my final selection for the on the go mom is another Canadian Olympic legend. It's a summer and winter Olympian, Clara Hughes, who of course has, is an Olympian in biking and speed skating. I figured she's busy enough to uh, be an elite athlete in two different fields i think that she can that she's a perfect on the go mom i think that that's a great choice griffin clara hughes obviously uh, elite in multiple disciplines as mothers are often asked to be and like you said keeping she must be quite organized in order to compete professionally in or not professionally but you know compete at an elite level in multiple sports that is i can't even begin to fathom that yeah like imagine if she wants to go biking but she's got her speed skating (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a huge problem. Uh, what, if, what if you had? What if you had like toe clips for skate blades? That'd oh, be crazy. Just like a little they should slit do... in the pedal. Yeah, sure. They should do like a triathlon, but with skating. What do you think about that? That'd be cool. So, uh, swimming, biking, skating. Yeah, but it's in the or it's in the winter, and so instead of swimming, you skate across the lake. Oh, okay. And then skiing. Sure, cross country skiing. And then, Instead of a run, and then biking in the snow. Snow biking. So snow, snowmobiling. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> just a machine does one of them. <laughs> well, you know, there's still to drive them. Dog sled. Uh, sure, yeah. So an animal does the work. That's what well, you prefer. <laughs> and I think that's more in the Olympic spirit than a machine. Perhaps. Um, uh, but that is all the time we have, Griffin. Uh, that is going to do it for this segment and for this episode. And of course, I I do want to mention, just because we've talked about some wonderful attributes uh, for mothers, but I think it's worth mentioning that however, whatever your style of parenting, whether you are a mother or any other kind of uh, parent or guardian, I think you are valid. You are appreciated by your, uh, your children. And, you know, we want to celebrate all forms of motherhood, not just the more typical 
uh, envisionings of motherhood. Is I just wanted to add that on as well. Yeah, that's very nice, Chris. We named today a couple of different examples, but there, there's no right way to be a great parent. Uh, I think we all know great parents who parent in very different ways, but who raise great kids. And I mean, if they come out healthy and happy, I think that's all you can really ask. So true, Griffin. Uh, a, a, a somber yeah. note to end this somber segment. <laughs> Not somber, but you know. Well, yeah, um, uh, solemn, 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 and and appreciative. Yeah, we're, uh, we're we're taking we're respecting the gravity of what we're discussing here. Much like Sandra Bullock did in that film, uh, the blind side. <laughs> she was a great mom in that movie. You have yes, to admit, she was. Got it. that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at HFLC Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok, also at HFLC Podcast. You can follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97. You can follow me at C Housenjan. Uh, Griffin, the OUA In Conversation Podcast had its final terrific episode drop uh, recently. So everyone should go out to, and listen to that. You can listen to Got the Runs and Bevy of Bevies, my podcasts. Those are also a controversial chocolate milk episode this week. So run out and have a look at that. Um, But I think that that is all for today, Griffin. And until next time, we must encourage our listeners to keep their floors high and their ceilings low.